0: Good World War II history told without any moralizing. It wasn't PC, it was just a good old fashioned war story, and which is rare these days. It's, it's odd because it, the Americans do look at Band of Brothers, Pacific, great series, and war films like um, Saving Private Ryan, Fury, etc., Inglourious Bastards. We in Britain have tended to do what was it, imitation game, which was about Bletchley Park, etc. So we've almost been a little bit timid at dealing with the realities of war is killing so that's why it was just refreshing to see this good blood and thunder series
1: hello and welcome to this week's pod today i have a friend of the show returning gavin mortimer author of the phony major and he's talking with me about the new bbc tv series based on the officers and men who founded the SAS, Rogue Heroes. Now this is based on the book Rogue Heroes, written by Ben McIntyre, another friend of the show, which is a hugely entertaining account. The TV show is a six-parter and covers the events of 1941 as the British took the fight against the Germans and the Italians in the desert. We see David Sterling, Paddy Mayne and Jock Lewis, along with other legends of the SAS, such as Bill Fraser, Johnny Cooper and Reg Seekings. There are triumphs and disasters, but it's rollicking good TV. Jack O'Connell stars as Paddy Maine, Connor Swindles as David Sterling, and Alfie Allen as Jock Lewis. I should warn you, there will be spoilers in this discussion. Both the book and the series came out before Gavin's new book, The Phony Major. This is one of those rare publications that really does change the narrative. It has shone a light on David Sterling and Paddy Maine, in particular, using impeccable research and first-hand testimonies. When one considers the amount of books on the early years of the SAS, that's quite an achievement of Gavin's. Any future books on the SAS in the same period will need to have the phony major in their bibliography. Coming up, I've got discussions on World War I, The Zulus, The Seven Years' War, which is with a Hollywood director. And next week, I've got the trial and execution of Charles I, which took place in January 1649. If you can rate or review and subscribe, I'd be hugely grateful. I've put links to the BBC series in the show notes, along with Gavin's book, The Phony Major, and Ben's book. I've also added a couple of articles from our website that are interesting and feature characters from the TV show, Paddy Maine and Dudley Clark. But in the meantime, I'll hand you over to me talking with Gavin Mortimer on Rogue Heroes. <laughs> Gavin Mortimer, welcome back to the uh, the podcast. It's fantastic to have you on. Thank you. Pleasure to be here, Ollie. Uh, and we're we're here to talk about. Um, uh, well, it's been a bit of a TV sensation, Rogue Heroes on the BBC, uh, and I know on the social media it's been causing a lot of debate. And I really wanted to get you on, Gavin, because you've written this book um, that we heard you talk about i think it was in may last year so listeners if you want to go back to may's uh, episodes you'll find gavin mortimer talking about his book entitled the phony major which is a biography of david sterling but also goes into a lot of detail um on paddy main there paddy main and these two men who are uh, founders of the sas are Featured heavily in the TV series on the BBC, and so I wanted to get Gavin on to talk about the TV show and what where the TV show deviates away from historical record, and just to talk about a few other things that we that that occurred to me uh, whilst watching it. And I wanted to just stay safe from the start, listeners. Uh, that I actually I thought the TV show was fantastic and I really enjoyed it. The um, the each episode I, I kind of didn't having read Gavin's book I kind of Gavin having read your book I kind of didn't want to to like it but I did. <laughs> um, and I I think you might have a slightly different view, uh, particularly the main the, the Paddy Main portrayal. But um, what were your what were your over overriding thoughts um, uh, of this TV show?
0: Thought well, it was great entertainment. Um, loved the soundtrack. I thought they got David Sterling um, very well. They they captured his uh, his arrogant bravado um, and also the conflict with Paddy Mayne. Uh, there, there was a competition. Uh, it's exaggerated in the in the TV series because Paddy Mayne didn't take David Sterling seriously as a as a soldier, as a guerrilla fighter and this rankled with um, with Sterling and it's very much at the heart of my book, The Phony Major, that uh, it was only after Paddy Main's death in 1955 that Sterling returned to England from his exile um, in southern Africa, published The Phantom Major in 1958 and created the myth of The Phantom Major. In effect he stole Paddy Main's Character He slipped into his shoes, and, and, and he was the, uh, the, the, the fearless, innovative, audacious, ruthless guerrilla fighter. And Paddy Main was this dark, brooding, depressive, misogynistic, which was actually David Sterling. So I thought they captured that very well. Um, other minor characters, Red Sea Kings was excellent. His, his sort of pug, pugnacious, in-your-face attitude. The, the rather suave um johnny cooper he wasn't quite as callow as, as depicted in in um rogue heroes but that was very good really pleased to see the, they featured the french detachment heavily um because they were integral to the development of l detachment sas in in 1942 so that so that was very good um, but as you said in your intro, Ollie, where I, I felt they I really missed a golden opportunity was to, to delve deep into this extraordinary, complex Paddy main. Um, and they just pulled, he was just rather too one-dimensional um, for, for my liking. If I'm being pedantic, obviously, he was six foot two very you know an international rugby player a heavyweight boxing champion and he, he came across as having short man syndrome in um rogue heroes you know just shouting the whole time i just wanted to slap him and say maine calm down man for god's sake because of course what what fascinated so many people malcolm played the uh, elder attachment doctor who i he was actually the first SAS vet veteran i ever vet, wartime veteran i ever interviewed in 1998 what, what um, intrigued him about Maine and, and is depicted so well in the book Born of a Desert, which is the uh, remains for me the the um, the, the definitive uh, wartime account of, of SAS operations, is his the fact that he was so quiet, so languid, he was so softly spoken um, out of action, and then there was this, this astonishing transformation. Where he would talk about uh, when he went off on ox and he would say, Cheerio, Doc, hope will be some good killing today. And and, and I don't think we really yeah, they showed him, you know, his love of poetry and, and um and the sensitive side sort of came out in Rogue Heroes. But I, I, think I, I
1: think it did, and this is where sorry to interrupt you, Gavin, but I think I think this is where I, I thought they did do a good job because I, I maybe I it was me and I was really looking for those moments and and, and to treasure them because um I find Main obviously a hugely attractive figure, particularly after reading your book. But um I thought it he did, I think there were many moments moments throughout the series where he that that there uh, there was a sensitive side that came over. And obviously what they were trying to say in the in the TV show was that. You know, uh, he, he was so uh, angry and violent because there was his loss of his friend Owen McGonagall, McGonag- which I think had been quite a, a, a big impact on it on him, hadn't it? Hadn't it that death?
0: Yeah, um, um it, it may have been. We, we may be looking at looking back with twenty first century eyes. I um, mean, it was one moment, for example, uh, in in I've just been refreshing my memory today of the uh, the episodes when um is it's the episode six the raid in benina um yeah. which is actually in reality with city anish um uh uh it was they, they merged those two but anyway it sort of what happened was 18 jeeps led by sterling and maine went on to and as you see in episode six and they drove down the runway opening fire on the aircraft killing quite a few um uh axis aircrew and um uh they're all, you know, a little shocked about uh, at the end about the the carnage they've inflicted. But that never came across to me. And I spoke to um through I wanted to
1: ask about this. about this. This is interesting. Right. No, no,
0: yeah, no. Yeah, no. no. I mean, I, I, I you know, we, we talked about uh, in, in all the interviews. I mean, just to uh, give you a bit of background again, I've probably interviewed in total about 100 SAS, SBS, long range, special voice squadron, long range desert group. Um, and we talked a lot um, about um, death and um, uh, killing, in, not, in a, not in a crude manner, but one thing they did say, and a lot of it came up because, of course, um, from October 1942 Hitler issued this commander order whereby any captured special forces were to be uh, executed. And over 100 SS and SBS were indeed not in the Desert War, which was by and large chivalrous, but in, uh, in Italy, in Germany, in Italy, in and France. And, and I said to the, to the SS men, did you ever uh, retaliate? And they were quite vigorous in saying, no, it's really important that you've got to retain your own humanity. And I believe them 100%. They looked me in the eye and said, you know, shooting a man in cold blood, no. Um, killing a man in combat? No problem, even if, uh, and again, I, I, I suppose um, ties in with the uh, episode, I think it's episode three, when, when Maine bursts into the um, uh, Tammet airfield and he kicks open the door of the, uh, of the mess and then opens fire and it's, 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 it's we're, we're encouraged to think this is very callous bordering on a war crime, which is nonsense. They, these were combatants on the front line, um some of them would have had their small arms with them, so they were a legitimate target. And that's how the that's how the men uh would have regarded them. So we are, I think, as is commonplace in here today, looking back at history through the prism of, of 2023 eyes and uh and not putting ourselves in the uh in the shoes of uh the, the men who were there. And now addressing that
1: incident and also you know it ties into the airfield, it's a similar uh, similar situation whereby a heavily armed SAS men are, are, are killing supposedly, you know, unarmed combatants. Those both those incidents um, are presented as. I was watching that, thinking, you know, Sterling. I think after the uh, uh, after the um, the main incident where he goes into the bar as you say and kills everyone in there, having said good evening, Sterling does say, you, you know, the, these aircrew will. And, uh, these engineers mm-hmm. they will work on planes to fix them up to so they go back out you know it, it's not as if it's an incident that i i don't think is is as controversial as maybe the tv show
0: was trying to make it no no absolutely not i mean you know then, then you, you you might as well say well every everyone who's um in in bomber command was uh was a war criminal for 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 dropping bombs although on predominantly military targets you know also in um but that you know that was of um that that's the reality of war, unfortunately, and you know, you just I've written a book about the Blitz and spoke to many Blitz survivors in the terror of uh, 1940 41 and the doodle bugged in 44. So, um, it's um, it, it's an area where, well, for, for me anyway, it's not it's not an issue, it's uh, they were legitimate targets. One thing I should say, Ollie, is that um, again, this was uh, a criticism that I make in the phony major of Sterling, is that in in the 1980s, when there was um, following the, the S.A.S. storming of the embassy, Iranian embassy in May 1980, which really kickstarted the cult of the S.A.S. that we have today. Um, There's a spate of books. Um, Sterling said that it was it intimated really quite uh, strongly that uh, what Maine had done was was in shooting the, the air crew when he kicked up and the door was was very callous. What he didn't mention was six months later uh, at, on the raid in Benina, when um, uh, in, in reality what happened was it was just him, Donnie Cooper and Red Sea Kings. And it was the first time actually, seven months into the the um, operations of the uh, SAS that Sterling actually met with any success. It had been Paddy Mayne and, and uh, Bill Fraser who'd, who'd uh, carried the old attachment in the first six months um he they they got onto benina they planted some bombs in in hangars and a couple of aircrafts and then as they were leaving they saw a um a nissan a Nissen hut and sterling kicked open the door and it was actually a, a dormitory full of sleeping men and sterling rolled a grenade along the floor now it, if, we, if we're going to have an argument about callousness, what's more callous: men kicking open the door, men looking him in the face and, and opening fire, or what David Sterling did, which is rolling a grenade along the floor as men slept? So, um, but again, I would say that this—they were um, combatants, and um, it, that's guerrilla warfare. It, it's not, you know, it's not cricket.
1: It certainly isn't, and and, it, and I think that. Is shown really well in in the show. Um, now, now, one thing that, whilst we're talking about Maine, um, he 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 is portrayed well by Jack O'Connell. Jack O'Connell, you know, he, he's got into the part that has been given to him. It's 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 a great portrayal. Um, but there's a kind of um, uh, there's a kind of class element to it I I I I got in the TV show in that. Main maybe one of the motivations behind him being so uh, unhappy all the time is because it's all these posh, uh, slightly incompetent uh, officers who keep on making mistakes, and th- that's something that really, uh, really does get to him. Um, is there is there a truth to that? Is, is, I think is that- there
0: is, Ollie. I think there is. Um, he um, infamously had a run in with his. Acting CEO of Number Eleven Scottish Commando, Major Geoffrey Keyes, son of uh, Admiral Keyes, the Admiral of the Fleet and um, Director of Combined Operations at the time, um, and he was an old Etonian, Sandhurst, uh, upper class, uh, desperate to prove himself. A highlight of his of his school career had been when I think when he he. he uh, won his second 15 colours. Um, So he was, you know, you'd say a a, a, a very mediocre rugby player. And then I've no doubt Maine brought out in a certain type of upper-class Britain uh, an inferiority complex and on top of that, a resentment. A resentment because, remember, Britain at the time was very, very class-conscious and they didn't like um, feeling inferior to a middle class, well not only middle class but an Irishman and so I think that caused some resentment it may have been exacerbated by Maine I think Maine was, did not bother to conceal his disdain for this, for this breed I also think Ollie. Um, I'm a big um, uh, lover of rugby and um, I've studied main's rugby career and he went on the british and irish lions tour to south africa in 1938 and it was a uh, a squad and a test team dominated by the welsh the irish and the scots it wasn't a strong english team at the time and anyway the english rugby at that point was very very much upper class so i think probably that main first his 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 um contempt is too strong a word but his his dislike and his lack of respect for particularly i know i, mean, I know strictly speaking sterling was uh, scottish but he didn't he did speak with an english accent and uh um but it, it stemmed from a lot of his rugby encounters when he Um, Ireland, for example, beat England at Twickenham in 1939. I think it was the first time in about a decade. Um, And so I think he just thought, these English, you know, these English upper class, there's not actually much to them physically or mentally. And so he brought that um, uh, lack of respect into the army with him. And it didn't help that Sterling, after the death of of Jock Lewis, which really, uh, I thought, by the way, Jock Lewis was very well portrayed in Rogue Heroes and uh, they got his intensity and he was indeed deeply in love with this woman, Mirren. And um, he, he was vital for David Sterling. And when he was killed on New Year's Eve, 1941, that uh, exposed him even more, if you like, to the fact that Paddy Mayne by this time had become the de facto leader of of the SAS. Sterling was spending more of his time in Cairo at his brother Peter, who was worked as uh, third secretary at the British Embassy. So he was spending most of his time there. Paddy was at Cabrit, eighty miles east, where the uh, L detachment were based, drinking in the sergeants' mess, playing tucked rugby with them, playing basketball with the French recruits, and so. What did how did Sterling overcome this, this widening gap between himself and the SS? Uh, well, he recruited people of his own class so Randolph Churchill, uh, Fitzroy MacLean, George Jellicoe, um, uh, Jeff, uh, Jeffrey Alston, and and then Carol Mather, Stephen Hastings, etc. So, so, and, and some of them were good, Jellicoe, superb. Um, uh, Hastings and Mather, not too bad. Uh, Churchill, uh, a disaster. Fitzroy and McLean, very courageous, too regimental, didn't last long in the SPS. Um, so, uh, so, so that's what, that's what Sterling did. And, uh, and of course that antagonised, uh, I think that, I think that really was, um, th- that was a f- the the, f- the final parting of the ways with Paddy Maine, if you like. So you, you had, uh, increasingly, two distinct camps: uh, Paddy Maine, Bill Fraser, who would number eleven Scottish Commando, and a lot of the um, Jeff de Vivier, Bob Tate, Jimmy Story, who, who came from eleven Scottish Commando, and then the um, Sterling and, and 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 his upper class chaps, and the the men who come from the Guards Commandos, people like uh, Pat Riley and um, Johnny Cooper. Well, yeah, I, it was interesting watching how, how um, many from the
1: guards were part of the um, the, the original SAS, which which um, I guess in contrast to today, you get a lot of paras, don't you, in the SAS?
0: Oh, I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to tell you what Ollie had I don't have anything to do with that. <laughs> on today. But you do make a good point. You just reminded me of something. Um, you're right. They did come from the guards. Um, and this is what uh, annoyed me about um several articles one by anthony beaver uh written at the time rogue heroes was broadcast saying more or less that they were um um thugs uh wild in disciplines uh, ab- absolute nonsense uh they came from the guards a lot of them um that everyone had come from uh lay force commandos so that commandos that had been trained in Scotland uh, rigorously. And, and this really was where a lot of them were who didn't make it were um, returned, RTU'd returned to units. And then the ones who did make it obviously had a, an iron discipline, very fit, very well trained. Um, and this, this idea that's been put around, unfortunately, by people who should know better, that they were misfits and, and renegades, it's just not true. Uh, and it, it it annoys me because it's disrespectful to the men themselves, um, and um, so so yeah. I mean, I, I can quash that one that they were uh fiercely disciplined, and and this this went on throughout the the war and enabled them to transition, if I can put it that way, from um, a, a desert private army to then in 1943. Uh, A commando force that uh, 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 took out a battery uh, in Sicily, uh, captured uh, an important naval base in Augusta, um, also in Sicily, and then landed at Banyara and Termoli for operations where they really showcased the very best of um, their discipline, their training, their initiative, uh, their audacity. And then, of course, they reverted in 1944 to much more uh, special forces, parachuting into uh, occupied France, deep in, in France, central France, and, uh, and working, training the Mackie, working with them to disrupt the uh, German lines of communications and impede reinforcements getting to Normandy. So they were not renegades. Uh, they were not rogues. They were a very, very, very... Uh, highly disciplined and well-trained force
1: so there is one other part of Paddy Main that I want to talk about before we um before we move on to I'm quite keen to talk about Dudley Clark as well actually played by Dominic West but um Paddy Main in in there are hints um they're they're quite slight maybe maybe this is me uh, but there are hints that there may have been some kind of homosexual leanings towards um his his great friend Owen McGonagall. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, it's very lightly hinted, I think. Um, so maybe some viewers didn't even pick up on it and maybe it's just me.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I think it is. These, these rumours are totally unsubstantiated. I, I did ask uh, uh, several veterans, Johnny Cooper. Um, it came up in the conversation. Uh, they said they'd never seen any evidence of that. Bill Fraser was homosexual um, and didn't really make much of a secret about it. The men knew um, didn't bother them because he was such a, a, a fine officer. Um, the I've I've never seen any evidence of any homosexual leanings of Paddy Main. I know that it, it came out in the book Rogue Warrior in 1987. All I would say about that book is that uh, several of the SAS veterans I spoke to turned up holding copies of it with passages marked, which, as they told me, were absolute bollocks, in their words, and um, uh, they knew that because they'd been there. Similarly, David Lloyd Lloyd Owen, um, uh, a distinguished Long Range Desert Group officer in the uh, LRDG newsletter following the release of uh, Rogue Warrior, which I think was in 1987, said that uh, while he'd enjoyed parts of the book, he was disappointed to find two cases of where the authors had deviated from what he'd told them. So I would treat that book with a certain amount of uh, skepticism, as I would the rumors concerning Blair Mayne's sexuality.
1: Um, so Dudley Clark, who who is played by Dominic West, it's, it's, a, it's a hilarious role and he's, we first see him in a dress with lipstick and I just wanted to understand his his role in 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 the establishment of the ss is he is he as presented in the TV show very useful in in um in helping the senior command in in cairo to to, to um have it, have it set up
0: there are, there is the line of thought that he was i disagree i think in in my biography of david sterling he's he, i mentioned him briefly twice uh, as i say it was it was david's brother. Uh, his big brother, Bill Sterling, four years his senior, who was really the brains behind um, the SAS. Uh, Dudley Clark was there. Uh, he was a very unusual character. Um, he, was a, he was a military, uh, a great military theorist, as was Bill Sterling. Um, but it was, there. one shouldn't forget that the SAS didn't really fulfil their potential in, uh, until... 1943 as i said earlier with paddy main but also when bill sterling raised two sas and they did they performed some extraordinary operations parachuting into northern italy in in two three man teams and um uh destroying the german lines of communications trains and and ambushing um uh, convoys uh so, I mean also amphibious operations coming ashore, blowing bridges, etc. So I don't I don't subscribe to the uh to the theory that Dudley Clark was instrumental in, in raising old attachments. Uh he was a, a cross-dresser, apparently. Um, and um I, I think his role was was overstated and it's it it was Bill Sterling who just very quickly to he, he was in SOE, special operations executive in 1940. And he went out to Cairo with SOE again in in, in a uh, mission led by Peter Fleming. He was so disgusted with the disorganisation of SOE. He went back to the Scots Guards, his parent regiment for a time. And then he was headhunted by GHQ in the summer of 1941 and ended up working as the the advisor, the aide to um, Lieutenant General Arthur Smith, who was the Chief of the General Staff, so second only to Wavell, and that is how um, the SAS came to be. It was a combination of David and Bill. The idea, this story that it was David who broke into GHQ very, very um, audaciously to thrust his idea into the hands, is a, is, is a, it's a wonderful story, but it's absolute uh, poppycock.
1: It's with the case of champagne, yeah, that's yes, right. Yeah. Which must have been warm. And so drinking warm champagne in Cairo, I, that's one bit that I didn't like. <laughs> um, so that's interesting. OK, um, now the other thing um, we want, to—we we must talk about Randolph Churchill. First of all, uh, I think it's episode two. You get the training, which I guess is a precursor to the famed SAS selection of nowadays in the training episode in the tv show this they're they're hiking across the desert um not given much water they jump off jeeps at 30 miles an hour to simulate parachute jumps presumably there was additional training because the people who did join they were they were already proficient in their own, in their own regiments was there additional training just like this the tv show
0: showed it it was yeah i thought that was that was very well depicted uh ollie the 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 training, the I thought I I love the scene where uh, Sterling and Lewis experiment with the parachute when they they tie the static line to the uh, to the seats and then just jump out and they um, that that happens. Sterling was was badly injured. Lewis actually was injured himself the next day. Um, So I thought that and yeah, but as you say, they they were commandos, so they they had uh, uh, an extreme level of fitness and training and discipline, as I mentioned earlier. so, but it was a case of Jock Lewis was their training officer. Paddy Main did quite a lot too. Sterling was in Cairo a lot of his time, actually, you know, quite rightly um, overseeing the logistical side of things. So it was, it was Lewis and Maine. But there was a lot of, uh, particularly demolitions, the, the famous Lewis bomb, uh, which they used to, to destroy the aircraft. Um, and, um, and, yeah, that's right, working out the water intake and uh how far really the the body could go without with with minimum water and and limited food and and that was yeah it was it was very and then they increased loads on their pack to i think about 60 pounds and then they had a final dress rehearsal when they uh uh, stole onto an ref field uh and laid dummy charges on on uh Several aircraft and they did it unprotected, so that was a bit of a uh, um, a boon to their to their confidence. That was really well done in the series, I thought.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and the other thing that they did well it was the first operation, which was a complete disaster, and the parachute jump in a sandstorm. The I think when when you see these highly trained, highly competent commandos, SAS men. Being in this helpless position of being dragged through these uh, this terrain of, of thorn bushes and rocks, it's just I, I, that was a hugely powerful. I found that extraordinarily well done.
0: Best and moment of a best moment of a series, for me, Ollie, that was. I thought that was brilliant. Uh, I interviewed Johnny Cooper, Jimmy Storey, and Jeff DeVivio, who were on that night, and and they described it exactly as you saw it on TV, and and that's right. It was um, uh, really. Just a question of luck. There was one soldier, uh, Sergeant Doc Jane, who distinguished himself uh, with uh, 11 Scottish Commando, Paddy Main's uh, unit at Latani River in Syria in the beginning of June, um, and was considered uh, arguably the, you know, the, the one of the most accomplished soldiers in the detachment. He he broke his back. On that first raid, and uh, that was that was him finished, and and um, and Johnny Cooper telling me that you were just it was totally out of your control. You were just um, uh, bouncing along the ground over rocks, cutting yourself and uh, through through scrub uh, and, until finally you you know you you your your shoot caught on something, and um, it was most of them in Sterling Stick, for example, of ten men. I think only Bob Tate was uninjured uh sterling had had several uh bruises and, and the rest of them were also walking wounded so it was um it was a disastrous operation and and you you got that in the series it was it was fantastic you well order
1: and later on um so that's after the first operation i think we in series, episode five and six we get the um inclusion of the French and Maine is assigned to train them, and which I think um, Maine was not happy to be given a training role, was he?
0: No, he was furious, quite quite understandably. And uh, I do think that, as is shown in the series, that it it was Sterling's attempt to sort of, uh, well, in effect. Leaving in a sporting analogy, leaving on the bench so Sterling could go and score a few goals himself, and um, he—I'm uh, not surprised that uh, Paddy Main was resentful, and uh, of course, also it was—it was, it was it displayed a lack of awareness, a lack of shrewdness on the part of Sterling that Main wasn't cut out to be a training officer, like all like geniuses, and he was a, a genius in, in guerrilla warfare. He just knew it was instinctive, and he couldn't really pass it on to lesser mortals. Um, and in the, it was then I think, Riley Pat Riley took over for a while, and then the other thing, of course, was Paddy Main couldn't speak French. Who could speak French? Jeff De Vivian, so um, who who had um, been with Bill Fraser on a couple of very good raids, and uh, he was uh, a corporal, and he was appointed training officer, much again to his uh, um, uh, annoyance, and uh, Paddy Mayne went back to operations. But uh, that did happen, though, without Paddy Mayne beating up the French and shooting at them. That was an uh, artistic license. Uh, well, the commander of the French um, uh,
1: detachment, he went on to, uh, he he was captured, as they showed, and he ends up in Colditz with Sterling, doesn't he?
0: Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, George Berger, he was captured at uh, from the raid at Heraklion in Crete in June 1942, um, along with three of his men. One was killed. Uh, George Jellica, I was, I was a little. I'm a big fan of George. Yeah, no, 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 he, he wasn't. Doesn't make an appearance. No, he was on that raid, and um, he was a, a he was a a, a very charismatic character later commanded this special boat squadron and um I, I never interviewed a veteran either sas or sbs who didn't have anything but good to talk about to, to say about jellicoe so yeah he's a, and of course he was um yeah, again a uh, famous family so um Uh, and a real character, uh, uh, a great raconteur. And uh, so I thought, yeah, it was strange that they didn't include him. But, um, yeah, that's right. But the the coldest thing, of course, Sterling only ended up, he was only, he was captured in January 43. And then he went to, he spent his first six months in Gavi, Campo 5, near Genoa, I think, if I remember rightly, in Northern Italy, and then went to a couple of... uh, other prison camps and it wasn't until August 1944 that he went to Colditz. He was there for six months before he was liberated in, in April 45.
1: Um Right, so we mentioned Randolph Churchill, um, who, it, it is, there's no, if his name, if his surname hadn't been Churchill it's unlikely he would have made it in. But he does come across as, um, well, that's, that's why he's there in the TV show. But um, you've, I think you've got a few tales from, uh, of Churchill's time, Randolph Churchill's time in the SAS.
0: One, uh, Arthur Tomo Thompson, sergeant who joined El Detachment in early forty two, described him, Churchill, as a fat, blubbering, useless, no good. Um, so there you are, no, <laughs> no, no sitting on the fence from Tomo. Uh, Roger Boutineau, who was one of the original French veterans, said that he was drunk most of his time and he, re- he remembered one time in Cabrit, he'd obviously staggered out of the uh, mess to his tent, but was so drunk he'd failed to make it in time, and was just lying there in the mm. mid-morning sun, um, naked, I think, from a waist up, red as a lobster, fast asleep, snoring loudly. However, having said that, it was an astute move by Sterling. And Sterling admits that you know he, he he recruited him because of his dad, and it was a useful way of having the PM's ear. Uh, Rogue Heroes uh, subscribes to the Phantom Major myth that he actually was was great chums with with Winston Churchill. That. That was just Sterling um, post-war making things up. But nonetheless, Randolph did write letters to, to Winston. Winston had had a soft spot for, for buccaneers, for, for boys' own bravados. Obviously, it was his idea to form a commando in, uh, when he became PM in um, May 40. And he was a sucker for uh, a swashbuckler. And that's what Randolph, who, was, of course, was a journalist pre-war, and sold him in these in these wonderful letters that he wrote to his father, and there's a uh, a quote in the phony major uh, um, a letter from Randolph's wife Pamela to, to him, yeah, saying, "Oh, your last letter, uh, uh, Daddy, found it wonderful. He's been showing it to everyone, and he's uh, showing it now to Max Beaverbrook, obviously the big uh, um, newspaper baron." And uh, so, so job done for Sterling. He he really um, pushed. I, I think it would be unfair to say he was it was self promotion. It was promoting, L detachment, but with a view for himself to really um, take control. I mean, Sterling actually wanted to take control of raiding forces in a, in their entirety, including the long range desert group and and other forces. That never came to fruition. He just. Uh, um, uh, got the expansion of L detachment, initially six officers and 60 men, to uh, the first SAS regiment a year later. Phenomenal achievement of 592 uh, men, officers and men. So um, uh, uh, that that was down very much to, to, to networking, of which Sterling was a master. And again, I thought Roy Heroes did that very well. I, I like the Sterling character because as I said, it, it did capture just his, his sheer nerve and uh, his belief that he could talk anyone into doing anything, no matter ha- who they were, um, uh, but that he was the equal of everyone.
1: Right, so we're, I think it's been announced that there is a second series. Yes. So, um, and I know you've got a few concerns about it, but... Um, uh, what, what can we look forward to? Because we're now, um, I, we've got a little bit more in, in, in North Africa, but then there'll be Sicily, Italy and, and, and France, won't there?
0: Well, really, yeah. I mean, there's not much more in, in, Stirling was captured January the 24th, 1943. He left behind him, I quote, chaos. Uh, that was John Lodwick, uh, uh, an SAS officer, who said that because Stirling had an aversion to administration, his filing cabinet his office was his head um and totally irresponsible to get captured by the way he'd been when when elder attachment became one sas his orders were not to go on operations as the ceo he defied that uh because he was very much again It was that competitive element he wanted and again this, you see this in uh in um the the final episode of the first series of rogue heroes that, it was, it was getting one up on, on Paddy Main by becoming the, the first unit from the Eighth Army to go drive up through Tunisia to meet the British First Army who were advancing from the south, from the north of the country, um, but utterly irresponsible to get captured. And, and it did throw um, the future of SAS very much up in the air. And it was Bill Sterling who um, was sent to Cairo and to Cabrit, uh, to assess and make a report Bill Sterling had um, uh, a good relationship with Paddy Main they had a mutual respect there and um, it was his recommendation that that Paddy Main become a takeover command of one SAS and then a chap called Lieutenant Colonel Henry Cater would become if you like um, head of raiding forces so encompassing the SBS uh, the Greek Sacred Squadron and other special forces unit, the SAS uh, he was 46, a World War One veteran, um, but he was very much chief executive. So he'll deal with the admin, which Sterling should have done um, with uh, SAS and leaving Maine 3 to concentrate on preparing um, one SAS for operations in Sicily and, and Italy. So that's where we sort of are at the moment. Now, I hope very much that, you know, you, that they're going to follow them into Sicily and in Italy, as I said earlier. There's some wonderful operations there. Um and uh and also perhaps show that there's no doubt that that Maine did uh he did rise to the challenge of commanding a regiment, which Sterling didn't. And he um the way he organized um, one SAS trained it, um, prepared it physically and mentally, um, cultivated competition. It was split into three troops. It was one. I suppose again, I think I think Maine's sporting background was, was very actually more important than we think in his career as a soldier. He took many um lessons, if you like, qualities that he'd learned, characteristics that he'd learned um as a boxer, a rugby player, a cricketer, and, and, and applied them to to uh, the one SAS, particularly in terms of training and formation, etc. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I did see a, a quote from um, Stephen Knight saying, "Oh, uh, the, the writer that we may look at uh, taking Sterling into uh, uh, developing some a plot in Colditz, etc." I think, you know, personally, I think it's time to to leave Sterling as a prisoner of war, um, where he can do no more damage to the SAS.
1: Right so i think that kind of covers it i i i'm just wondering if there's if there's if there's anything glaring that i've missed out that you wanted to to mention
0: no not no i think i think it's been a it's been quite a a a comprehensive um discussion really we've we've covered most things i'm just i just made a few uh notes here at uh, whilst um, you're doing
1: that i'm going to list out the bands that that have yeah. appeared and this is just a few you have got acdc black sabbath the cure the stranglers the Clash, Saxon, The Damned, Shan Sixty Nine, The Stooges, and George Formby and Noel Coward, Motorhead, and Motorhead. Yes, yes, that was in the final episode, wasn't exactly,
0: it? Exactly, that's right. Yeah, one of my yeah. favourite songs, brilliant. Yeah, and I was, the soundtrack was great, and um,
1: and there was uh, some uh, real footage as well. I think I think that, there was, inter- wasn't there? Inter- yeah, dispersed. yeah. I really like that. That went really yeah. well.
0: Yeah, um, and I think in terms of um, uh, in terms of um. Kit and equipment, etc. I think that they did pretty well on that too, and um, so um, I think, yeah, no, I mean, I'm, you know, there's, there are some um, pedants and purists out there who who disparage it excessively, in my opinion. I think, I think it 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 did a good job. Uh, It raised awareness uh, of uh, not just the SAS, but but sort of you like. um just good World War II history told without any moralizing. It wasn't PC, it was just a good old-fashioned war story, and which is rare these days. It's, it's odd because it, the Americans, you know, do you look at Band of Brothers, Pacific, great series, and war films like um Saving Private Ryan, Fury, etc. in Glorious Bastards. We in Britain have tended to do what was an imitation game, which was about Bletchley Park. He said, we've sort of almost been a little bit timid at, at dealing with the realities of war. which is killing. And, and I thought, so that's why it was just refreshing to see this good old uh, Blood and Thunder series. And yeah, I mean, it, historically, it was it, it wasn't perfect, but it says that at the beginning, doesn't it? It's based on true events. So I think, you know, I, I enjoyed it and uh, I'm looking forward to the season two. But um, I just hope, as I said, right at the beginning, Ollie, my, my one hope is that they, they bring more nuance to uh, Blair Mayne.
1: Well, they made the TV show before your book was published. <laughs> and so now that they will have uh, your book in their hands, I'm, I, I'm sure that that's what will happen. Gavin, <laughs> thank you so much for your time.
0: Ollie, it's
1: been a pleasure. Thank you. So as I mentioned there, it is a great show and what a treat to have Gavin's take on it. As I mentioned at the start, there are links in the show notes to what we've discussed and a couple of articles on our site on Maine and Clark by Gavin and author Tom Petch. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate or review if you can. Next week, we have the trial and execution of Charles I. Thank you and good night.